Here we go in three, two. Yo, what's going on, y'all? It's your boy So So. In case you ain't know So, and welcome back to another episode of Sports with So So. Make sure you guys are subscribed to the podcast on those streaming platforms and follow us on social media as we give you the latest on what's going on in sports. This week we got an amazing episode, guys. We got Victor Bermudez in the building as we record here at Empire, and you know what we're gonna talk about. We got the Heat getting hot. The Panthers are not. Marlins get a W finally. The Masters get an unlikely winner, and we also jump into the world of boxing and MMA with our own special guest. It's time to take a ride, y'all. Let's go. Thirtieth episode, baby. We live. We live. We did it. We're yes, here. Yes, sir. You know. Uh, First and foremost, I have to shout out my my brother from another mother, Steve, aka Frisco, for letting us do this at Empire. Really appreciate you, big dog. Yes, sir. Um, and good looking out, bro. I feel like we should have a fanfare or something. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, for our guest, the guy we have in house right now, deserves more than a fanfare. You know what I'm saying? Especially that he himself was inspired by sports. You know, coming up in Hialeah as a kid and and using that to fuel his passion for his profession, you know, and not only make sports his profession, but excel at it, you know, and really be a role model for his family and his kids and and for the rest of us who consider his friends. And it's amazing to have him. You know, he's the two time Emmy sports winner. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know how hard it is to win an Emmy for sports and then win another one? You know what I mean? I'm, I'm just going to say this. I'm honored to be in your presence, Vic. You know what I mean? I like, it, man. <laughs> this is Victor it, bro. Bermudez, bro. You know? Yeah. Yeah, make well, some noise from a dog. We have to fake it. We got a, we got a real live in-studio audience. So yes, I didn't sir. even have to fake the laugh track or nope. the, or the nope. applause today. We're going to have them in the studio doing it live. So, Vic, man, welcome. I really appreciate you being here, bro, and, and doing this with us, brother. It means a lot to us, dog. No, I appreciate you having me, my dude. I mean, ever since you started this, um, I've been waiting for my invite, to be honest. Yeah, bro. Because <laughs> I tell you. Nah, I you, know. Yeah, I'm not even going to get into it, but yeah, man, it's an honor. It's, um, it's just seeing you do this reminds me of the way I started and it's just that passion for sports man just yep. the way we grew up and just listening to folks do it on the radio and do it big time and you're you just thinking to yourself like I could do that and then you start you know the way I started was I would listen in my car every day during my lunch break to would, AM sports radio bro AM sports radio yeah I, I barely listen to FM I do F around with, with the FM because I'm a big fan of Lucy Lopez. That's my girl. Right. Power 86, DJ Zog from Hialeah as well, just like me. But listening every day, um, I remember when I was working at Mylander Parks at the tennis courts. Yeah, Every man. afternoon I would listen to Hank Goldberg and I just couldn't stand Hank. I thought I knew he was good. I respected <laughs> Hank. But, I but you weren't the only one who felt like that in Miami-Dade no, County. You know that, right? <laughs> Everybody hated Hank, but Hank was, was the king of sports radio down here. I was, was a bigger fan of Mad Dog. Mad Dog, you know, rest in peace. Mad Dog did a lot for me in my career, you know, upcoming and in, in growing in up radio. in this business. Yeah, man. And just listening, as I said, every day during my lunch break later on when I went moved on from the city of Hialeah, I was working for a freight company. And I would listen during my lunch break and I would just catch myself big on stats. I, I love 
the stats of the game and, and studying that stuff. Do you remember when back in the days you would get the sports part, right, the sports section at school, and you'd be like, well, it's time to look at the box scores. Or I'm going to look at, you know, who scored what for the Heat or, damn, how many points did Jordan drop? Now that doesn't exist because everybody, like, just gets it instantly on their phone. But I, I, I remember those, that shit. I remember those days because we used to read them on the morning announcements. We used to have to get the, the newspaper. Yeah, the bro. Yeah, so man. I, I still do that stuff, man. I stick to basics. I, I obviously read a recap, but even – I'm just in my line of business as I'm watching a game, I'm studying numbers. Yes. That's one thing to me. Numbers don't lie. Uh, I know there's cliches of numbers lie and and whatnot, man, but it's hard to argue when you're throwing numbers at someone because they're just the facts. No, I mean, what, what, and we've talked about it before where we, we know that you have to use stats in order to quantify performance. Like it doesn't tell the whole story true because it's sports and anything can happen. But at the end of the day, if you're trying to make smart decisions or trying to like plan for the future of a franchise or something like that, you're going to use stats. You're going to use information. You're going to use data, you know, just like you would in any business, you know? And Vic, I'm glad you brought up your past, bro, because it's like, you said the passion for sports is what led us to this you know for you to be in your world doing your thing uh for me and joel to be doing this with the podcast and even for steve and his story you know how he's able to integrate a local team success local team fashion and and everybody wants to wear heat gear and dolphins gear marlins gear throwbacks vintage is in now so that's always been a good mix of how sports, you know, and Hialeah combined specifically because it really brings out the dog out of people and to be hungry for success and to reach new heights. So, man, I'm, I'm always intrigued to how sports can do that for people like us, you know. Yeah, it just brings us together. And he, we did want to bring you on way early yes, on sir, man. the first one because we didn't know what the hell we were doing. So we were like, we need Vic. But we were like, all right, we got this laptop. We got these mics. Let's try to get some groundwork. Let's get something figured out so when he comes on, we don't make yeah, I've been a fan, man. I've been a fan. I've, I've, <laughs> from episode one to twenty nine to now thirty, being on with you guys, I've listened. Um, I've, I've disagreed with a lot of your stuff. Oh, I'm sure a lot of criticism, but, a lot of but do. that's yeah, positive criticism. Yeah, that that's just the way I am. I'm, no, I love, um, that's, that's perfect. That's what we want. I hear things, and the producer in me immediately wants to correct stuff. Yeah. Um, so, but that's just that's the way I listen to everything. That's the way I watch everything. It's just, unfortunately, it's it's I it's a flaw, I guess, but it's also what's gotten me to. Where, I, where I've gotten to in, in, in this point in my I career. wouldn't consider that a flaw at all, brother, nah. because if you think about it, we need that, you know, feedback, especially for guys like us who are, uh, you know, getting wet behind the ear when it comes to this uh, sports media type thing. But you're a G in this game, bro. You're like an OG, nah, triple OG. <laughs> nah, nah, you nah. know, I mean, like, because to be honest, you're on your way up there, bro. Like, for people to know you, right, and you have relationships with the type of people that you have, that just is shows you like how much your work means something you know and people see the value in what it is that you're doing and when you give us that feedback on what we should do with the show or like topics and like this and that that's why we didn't even want to bring you on until we had our equipment right and we can do like something where again the stage is set to have somebody of your caliber here bro so So appreciate you man thank you for listening thanks for being here you said something with that and it's what i tell everyone especially up and coming and i i speak on this at work with everyone, it's it's relationships. Yeah, yeah. Everybody can have contacts. I mean, I can go down my phone and I can dial whoever. I got a bunch of contacts on my phone, but it's that relationship when you build that with someone. And at the, the thing that has helped me out a ton is we all come from the same place. We're all from yep. Hialeah. Yep, yep. That 
and and people recognize real, especially athletes, because media is you know most times they're not they come from where we come from you know they're not coming yeah. from like you know well off families and stuff like that they're coming from tough neighborhoods they just want you know? they just want you to be real with them yeah and and yeah. i speak to them a different way i speak to them the, the and, and i was taught that early in my career i don't get me wrong i i came out of school and i wanted to be this polished broadcaster i wanted to be on tv i wanted to get things right and i got pulled aside by sid rosenberg who did a ton for my career i mean that man saw something that no one else did, saw talent in me that I didn't even see. And he pulled me aside and said, what are you doing on air? <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? I'm, I'm, I'm working, bro. And he told me, no, 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 off air, you're totally different. Off air, I get this bro, this guy, and this, you know, th this, I guess, Hispanic anger or whatnot. He goes, why am I not getting that on air from you? And I said, oh, I just didn't think that would work. He goes, be real. Yep. Be you. And you're going to see how that changes the game. And I started doing that, and I started just letting it go and, and being comfortable with this is who I am. It's like it or love work it, baby. Or not. And that man accepted me, and, and he embraced it. And next thing I knew, I just started getting more on air time, more on air time. And, and then I started acting that way with, with everyone else. And, and people can pick up on that. People can... Especially athletes, they can they can pick up on when you're being fake in a in a locker room, um, in a practice field. For sure. When you travel and I mean, I think that's why you're hundred percent right. And I think that's why we love Jimmy Butler down here for the heat. Because he's one of those guys Jimmy's real, man. That's, that's a real, real right dude. There. You know what I'm saying? Like he's not fucking around. He's not gonna be your best friend in practice. If you suck, you you know, he's gonna tell you you suck. If you're dogging it on the court, he's gonna tell you, yo, you need to pick it up. And a lot of athletes can't handle that. Yeah, but at the it, same it time, doesn't work. It, it didn't work in Philadelphia. No, not not for that crowd. But down and here, even they, in Minnesota, they, Minnesota. They, they know when it's time to work and they know when it's time to play. And that what I love about Jimmy is that when it's business, it's business. He'll take over. Yeah. But off the court, I love how lighthearted he keeps everything. Like I just saw the other day, he was he was giving Bam shit for. Uh, oh yeah, throw, missing some free throws. Right, and it's then, playful, but at the same time, it means, it something. means something. And Bam is actually like, "Damn, I can't believe I missed that." You know what I mean? Like Jimmy didn't come and dap me up. You know, but like that, like brotherhood just kind of builds like behind the scenes, and that's what transpires on the court. You know what I mean? For sure. And I think for the Heat, being the franchise that they are, right, it's built like that from the inside out. You know, so any player who's coming into this has to be that way. And Jimmy exemplifies that, man. The guy's been beasting it out for us, bro. He's averaging like what, 23, 5, 6, two steals, 53% last six games, probably more now since we beat Portland multiple last night. In the last six games. Right, say six that again. games with multiple steals. Look at that, bro. That's Dwayne Way shit. That's peak Dwayne Wade shit. When we were looking at Wade and we were considering him to be like the best player in the NBA or at least worthy of an MVP consideration, that's what we were looking at. We were looking at those type of defensive numbers and being like, yo, Wade's doing it with steals, he's doing it with blocks, and he's averaging 20-something points, and he's willing us to win games. Like, that's hard to find, bro. All-around efficiency. You don't <laughs> you don't see that from a lot of players. In the Hell league. no. They'll be good at a couple, you know, certain things. They'll be good at shooting or, you know, on the rebounds or the assists, but Jimmy's doing it all, and, and we, we feel it when he's not on the court. For sure. But we needed that win against Portland, obviously, you know, to start the West Coast trip off right. You know, we got a four-game West Coast trip, and we're not playing easy teams, you know. We're playing... Yeah. We play, Started with Portland. We got Phoenix. Phoenix who's is going to be a tough one. Great, great team right now. Um, Denver, they're always tough to beat. And then we end up with Minnesota. Who Denver's a tough place to play, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, that altitude kills everybody. And again, I feel like when if you played Denver at the beginning of the of the West Coast trip, 
you probably could win that game because it's the first one out of the one. You get it out of the way, and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm fresh coming off the plane. But after, like, five days on the road already, and then you head into Denver, that's going to be a tough place to win. And believe yeah, it or I, not. I disagree with that. I disagree. I think you get, if, if you get them right off the bat, then you're suffering from that jet lag taking mm. over the West Coast. Um, you've traveled to the West Coast a ton. Yeah, yeah, of You course. know what that's like. The yeah. moment you get in town and that time changes – I would much rather have Denver where they're at, and I like the fact that we got Portland coming off a of back to back. Yeah, that, that was important. Us. I'm not saying that's why we won the game, um, but I it does help. No, Portland's for sure. Coming off a of, of back to back, and we take on them. So I, I disagree with getting Denver right off the bat. I, I like how we had Portland and we took advantage of them playing the night before. So I, w- I would disagree on that sense. Let's see, man. Let's see, because I, you're right. You know, probably it is better to get a tough team or a tough opponent out of the way, you know, down the line when you're already a little bit accustomed. But I feel like either way, you've been traveling for four or five days, you know, so something's going to catch up sooner or later. And I really think that he can't afford any more weird losses, you know. Right now we're in the very thick of things when it comes to the East Coast race for top four. Um, I doubt we're going to make the top three. So we're You're not going to make the top three. Really doubt it. It would take a utter collapse by Boston and then like every, uh, Philadelphia and everybody else like ball out after that. But even still, you know, we're, we're battling with some teams and we're only separated by one and a half, two games now, so... And you mentioned losses, but are you referring to, like, just actual game losses or player losses, like us recently losing Oladipo? Both, bro. And the Victor Oladipo shit scares me, man, because everything has come back inconclusive. You know, he had the MRI, Vic, you know, and it came back negative, but he still wanted to get a second opinion on it, which leads me to believe that he's not really sure, like, how good his knee is or if he feels comfortable enough to play. The fact that he's not on this West Coast trip lets you know it's serious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that was the issue with v- Victor Lodipo the whole time. It's just his durability. Heat are taking a chance on him and they got nothing to lose. Right. But it's, it's the reason why so many people stayed away from Victor Lodipo because it's just... That, that, that's a huge question mark. Yeah. And the way that it happened was kind of odd, too. I mean, it was the Lakers game, right, that it yep. happened. It was yep. last week's Lakers game. He goes up for a dunk, and when he comes down, or, or when he took off, actually, when he was taking it off for weird. the dunk, he kind of grimaced as he was up there holding onto the rim and came down kind of gently, and then he was just out for the rest of the game. Yeah, the way, have y'all heard Victor Oladipo sing? No. Nah. Actually, I think I have. Y'all need nah. to go and YouTube Victor Oladipo and sing? hear that man. Yeah, sing. I, I think like he, I hear R&B that sing? Yeah. Like, the boy can sing. Yeah, like he has pipes on. Damn, him. I didn't know that. I, 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 think I think he's I've a better singer than a basketball player. And nah, that's chill. All right, do your research. Maybe he's more. Maybe <laughs> he's more YouTube. durable. Maybe he's more durable as a singer than he is Go a basketball player. And, nah, man. Hear Victor Lodipo sing. We're Bro. gonna dog. We're gonna play that on the break. We're okay. gonna play that on the break, and just to see I'm if. And then you're gonna come back and say, "Damn, Vic, you were right." I'm gonna say he could probably sing. We're gonna say that a lot, Vic. Nah, nah. I'm saying, man. Look, I was put on to to his singing skills. And when Out I heard him, I was like, whoa. yo, th- That's not copyright weird. music, right? We can play whatever. We can play Victor Oladipo singer, right? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I think we can. We got to we'll look up the out. rules of YouTube and see how that's going to work, I think bro. we'll be good. But with the Oladipo injury, it's scary. You know, it was a low investment move on, on behalf of the Heat. And if, you know, it's always bad when a player takes himself out, out of a game and says, yo, I don't think I could go. You know, and I I feel like, and I was going to ask you this, if, what do you guys think? But I feel like he played himself out of a max contract this summer for sure. Like right now with this latest injury, there's no team right now 
looking yeah, at him and saying, I'm going to, I feel comfortable giving him a max contract. Yeah, but that's out of his control. I mean, at this point, it's an injury. You know, it's not like he's just playing poorly. You know, he was doing all right. But he was kind, he kind of playing poorly when he got here, too. I know they're throwing money around in the NBA, but I just never saw him as a max contract player to begin with. Probably not. You know, he probably wouldn't be the top five guys that you throw money at, right, in that position. And we saw Unless that. You're like a small market team that you got no choice. Yeah, but even then. Yeah. But I, I just don't, don't think. I just, I like, he's I like not worth it. it. I like Oladipo, but you know, he's, he's not, not worth he's it. He's not one of those. He's not worth it. If he was healthy. contract guys. If he was healthy and balling, then I would feel more comfortable about saying, yeah, you know what? Let's put him, let's put him in that max ca- category bracket and see what he gives us. But the fact that he can't even stay healthy or be as explosive as he was, like, He's not a great shooter. You know, it's not like he's lights out from three. So you really got to consider what it is that he's going to bring to the table. But let's see, man, that he got to keep rolling, you know, that he got to keep rolling and, and, and get this next game against Phoenix. That's going to that's gonna be a tough one. And we got Phoenix and then we got Denver right after that. That's that's a one-two punch right there for us. We, yeah, we've been struggling on the road this year. So and Going back to the whole Oladipo and, and the trade deadline, I think what's not getting enough attention is what that trade deadline did for the guys that stayed. The ones that were on the trading block yeah. that everyone was talking about. Yeah. We saw so, Hero improve drastically. Tyler Hero, drastically. He did la- um, against the Blazers. Duncan looks like he's, he's woke up. Better. You know, he had a couple yeah. of deep, deep, like, Steph Curry threes last night. And it's impressive. You're right how, how they're, they've improved since they got that pressure put on them. But Duncan's how consistently? Said it. Duncan, since that trade deadline, has eight straight games where he's hit at least – Three three pointers. Yeah, that's it, it. It's understated what that does to a player psychologically. Your your life is about to change, and you're not in control of that. No, and, and even for the guys around you to find you and say, "Yeah, I trust Duncan hitting this shot right now because he's on fire." You know, if I make this move and I get to the basket, I know I can kick it out and find the open man because Hero's been playing well for us too. Yep. You know, and Kendrick Nunn, I feel like he's another sleeper. We don't talk about him enough, but he really puts quality minutes for us. You know, defensively and offensively, he doesn't have to score those seventeen to nineteen points. And that's what it is with the Heat. The heater's going to go as far as their defense goes. Yep. This isn't a great offensive team. At times, they can be. But when you look at the top of the East, if you're expecting to hang with the Nets offensively, it's just not going to happen. Not. If nah, you're giving up 100 points per game, it, the, the Heat are just not going to be that team. Yeah, we, we so can't play their game. we got to play ours. It's that Spolster-style type of Drag play. Drag them out. And Give me that 96 heat where we're going to fucking foul you 16 times in a row, Bobble, and make you earn it at the stripe. And that's the only way you could probably beat a team like Brooklyn right now, you know, or a team like Philadelphia. And they showed that against the Blazers. Blazers sick. came into they're that sick. game fifth in offensive efficiency, I think second in, in I believe it was in turnovers. Mm. So they don't give a, they don't turn the ball over and, and they score them. at will. Yeah. And, and we yet forced them shut first, down. Within the first minute and a half, you have three forced turnovers by, by Miami. Yep. And then you saw what Jimmy Butler did with the steals. So I, I think it's all going to come on the defensive end for the Heat. And that's in a seven-game series, if they're playing History Miami has shown that defense, that's going to win, bro. Then, you know. Anything can happen. Let's see what happens. No, there you play the but matchup you game, right? with the Bucks offensively. And I nope. know Heat and five, I get it. What happened last year, maybe Giannis doesn't fold like he did last year, but... 
the Nets scare me, man. And nah, you can't hang with sure. the Nets offensively. No, so. no, no, no. We Right now, we don't have the offensive talent to be competitive level to level with a Bucks, with uh, Philadelphia, with, like you said, the Nets. Because even Embiid in Philadelphia, like, we have no answer for that guy. And he's a 30-point and 15-rebound guy in a playoff game any day of the week, you know? And we don't really have an answer for that. So it has to be the matchup game and be like, okay, let's get this fourth seed have home field advantage for that home court advantage for that first round and see what our next round matchup could be and how we line up defensively. That's the only way the Heat are going to make a run back to the finals like they did last year. And, you know, it'll be exciting to see that because, shit, bro, another run to the finals. You know us down here in Miami, we like that winning shit. That's so always a good time. That's always a good time. But we'll see I, how I the Heat I don't do, mean man. to be negative, but I just don't see them making the finals. Nah, I don't got them either. It's just they, they need that fourth seed. They can't fall. To, to me, you fall to the fifth, and that's already— And that's danger. Extremely dangerous. That's and dangerous. I, just, um, I, I think the bubble helped out a ton, mm, and that's Miami Heat basketball, that camaraderie, mm, that— that. Maybe the bubble helped because we saw how good Duncan could be in the bubble, right? We saw how good Hero could be in the bubble, but you just said right now that— we have those guys playing well for us, you know, and if they can keep that momentum, you know, like I said on the previous podcast, they don't have to be 20-point scorers, but as long as they're dropping those 15-point games, right, here and there, or even combined where they're having, like, 25, 30-point games combined, that shit can go a long way offensively, you know, but we still have to do the part defensively of shutting teams down. I don't think we're primed right now. If Victor Oladipo would have been healthy, that's a different story. Maybe we would have been primed for a long run, but at the moment... I don't know. We've been too shaky. I'll tell you what, though. We didn't have Vic Oladipo last year, and I'm going to be the arrogant Heat fan in the room, and I'm going to say <laughs> we are going to make it to heat the finals. Heat five, motherfuckers. last year, nobody thought we were going to make it there, and we made it, right, boys? That's right. Let's go. That's right. Heat Let's making go. the finals. I'm going to stick to my guns. All right. Joel said it. We're going to keep rolling, and Joel said Heat in finals, guys. Remember that. Man, so let's jump into our Panthers real quick, bro. They're currently on a three-game losing streak. You know, we lost two games on the road to Carolina, and then we lose another one to Dallas, end up losing that game 4-1, where they end up scoring three goals in the first period, bro. It's like we didn't even have a chance. And for a team that was so hot and consistent, you know, on the season and really dominating the NHL, it's kind of tough to see them go down. But we know it's because of their injuries, right? And they had to make some moves, Joel, you know? They had to make some moves. Yeah, we, we were recently in the trading news, right? We yes, sir. New players, tell me about them. Well, the first guy that we traded for is a defenseman, right? His name is... Brandon Montour he came from Buffalo um, and he's like a playmaker defensive, right? Because he's trying to make up for Aaron Eckblad, who's our playmaker, main playmaker coming out of the Offensively back. Offensively and defensively. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, he was on a tear with his 11 goals on the season before he came down and had a broken leg, which I told you, bro, whenever you see that air cast, it's fucking yeah, it's, bad, it's news bad news in sports, bro. You see an air cast and I'm like, damn, you know what happened there, dog. But the trade kind of like, try to solidify that you know and it's kind of tough when you make a trade in season especially in hockey i feel like more than other sports because it's only 15 guys you know you get like three lines and that's it you know maybe the ro the goalies rotate if there's an injury but you're usually keeping it pretty consistent with your rotation and for him to kind of step in and really fill in those big shoes i don't think he's going to be able to do it i don't think he's going to be able to do and, it and that's the reason for the trades at, at the trade deadline of the nhl because they're just they have no depth yep and they have basically no playoff experience. So you like what, what GM Bill Zito is doing, bringing in. Today they traded for Sam Bennett. Yeah, so I saw that. He, he comes over from Calgary. And he, not the greatest seasons thus far, 
but has great playoff experience. And and that's the thing. The team has no depth. He Bill Zito walks in into the locker room after a game and he sees guys with six, seven ice packs. I'm not exaggerating. Six, seven ice packs on you and goes home for the night, comes back early next morning. Gets the injury report. Sees the same guys and wonders, have they even left home? Have they, have they been home to see their families? So I, I like what he did in this trade deadline because he saw what his players... Three-game losing streak, as you mentioned, ties the season worse. Yeah. And that's following the three-game losing streak, following a six-game winning streak. Yep. So it yeah. is it's what you're saying. They're a hot team. They're sure to make the playoffs, but they're trying to win the Central Division. Two, two points behind the Carolina, Carolina right and, Tampa. and Tampa. So I, I like what they did in the, in the trade deadline because I think they got taken advantage last year. And, and you lost a really good, valuable player. So this year, I like w- what they're doing. And I'm hoping, look, they're, they're making the playoffs for sure. And I think this can be a hockey town. I know that sounds asinine. No, it really can Miami, be, bro. But we we lived, you know, and, and it's, I mean, I'm going to date myself now, 97, <laughs> um, 96. But I think where they're located when they moved to, to Fort Lauderdale, I, I think that's a great place for, for the Panthers. I, I know it's a bit far from us. But I just, I think there's this team up there that people can get behind. And I think there's a big hockey fan base down here that has a loyal core because it went, when they're open for business, you go and there's diehards up there. 10,000 people Broward, in there Sunrise. every night. More than a Marlins game, I'll tell you that much. Yes, and, and the, the moment the playoffs, as we've mentioned, this is an event town, and when the Panthers make the playoffs, I think they can make some noise, and hopefully they are going to make the playoffs, but if they can take that division, I think that's going to demonstrate to the rest of the world that they're on to something. For sure, for sure. And they need to win that division, you know, to be in prime position. Two because it's it's A, Tampa Bay is a championship-winning team, so we know that they have what it takes to be good and carry their momentum into the playoffs, right? But you said something that was very interesting, how GM kind of views his team and looks at the team and sees, man, I got too many young players, draft picks, guys that we've had come up in our system, guys that we've draft, uh, traded for who are young, and we've, you know, seen them come up in the rankings. We don't have a lot of experience. And when we lose Ekblad, Ekblad, that shit hurt. And that's going to hurt moving on into the playoffs because, yeah, he can be rah-rah and coach from the bench and all that stuff and say, you know, I'm with you guys, but him not being on the ice is going to where, where it's going to matter. And... Man, I, I see a tough road ahead because I really think that lack of experience is gonna gonna come to bite them in the ass, you know, because they're not gonna be able to be the best team in the NHL. They're not gonna be able to win the central division. But something that you alluded to earlier too, and I think Joel and I agree because that's why we wanted to go see the Panthers is that they do have that core following, you know, and a hockey is successful. I'll be honest with you, man. The last time I went to a, a Panthers game, it, it would resemble the Marlins game in that there were more fans for the opposing team than there were for the home team there. Oh, you got to accept that. that. I, I think that's the case for a lot of teams. For a lot of teams. There's, there's a lot uh, of Not for the Dolphins. Place. I mean, for the Dolphins. Bro, I, I think I, it's what? I, the Dolphins. I see more I, Dolphins fans at Dolphins games than nah. other, I think other it teams. Depends well, they're probably heat first. I no, think it bro. depends on who they're playing. The Steelers travel extremely well. The if Jets. Buffalo this season, it was a home game for Buffalo. Yep. With the Jets always, always travel Jets well down here. travel extremely well. Cowboys don't even mention that. Jets, Giants, um, as, as you said, I, I think Miami's a difficult city because, there, as we mentioned, so many transplants. And then on top of that, you got to win. The generation is just 
Bro, it is what it is. We're used to winning. Because even Look, the people our, from the 70s. The greatest player in franchise history is Dan Marino. Yeah. Retired in 99. Some would argue Dwayne Wade. Oh, we're talking Dolphins uh, here, though. Okay, my fault. Franchise history. My I, I fault. Said, my I fault. say city. All right. Franchise history. Dan Marino. I'm 38. You don't when remember I got that. Into, when I really started watching football hardcore, I was in fifth grade. Dan Marino retired just a few years later. Yep. So the old Dan Marino. And, and you're talking about a generation that grew up and the Dolphins just weren't good. So that's why you. Ha- that's why I think this town became a basketball town. I think it's there for the taking. Whenever football comes back, whenever the Hurricanes or the Dolphins become that legit contender, I'm not saying just win it fluke in, in 2008, get eliminated in the first playoff and, and the first game of the playoffs. I think once they establish, and I think they're on the way. I, I love what Chris Greer is doing. I love Brian Flores. I, I think they have a solid cast, and I think they're just a few years away. But they're just not quite there yet. No, and there's a generational gap that is just has seen the Dolphins lose one too many games, too many seasons that have just not lived up to the hype. As the same thing for the Canes, and I think that's why this town became a basketball town. It's it's true, you know, it is a basketball town. But if if we look at how the franchises are being built, right? We look at the success of the Heat and say, okay, you need to build internally. You need to have a model. You need to have a, 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 a living that whoever comes in here lives and dies by that, right? So the Heat had that established. Boom. And they're able to win consistently and be in a position to win consistently. The Dolphins are currently trending towards that, right? Yeah. We see Chris Greer and Coach Flo. They're doing their thing, and they're kind of building it up from the bottom, right? Getting pieces here, there, whatever. We got the quarterback. We got this. Now we're going to go into another draft. And the Panthers, I feel like they're on the same move because they saw everybody else's success and say, damn, how do we get a piece of that for our that, core fans? That may be the smartest thing you've said in your 30 30- episodes for <laughs> because, because I, I totally agree and I want and I came in with that mindset because of Bozito because of what I saw him do I think the, the Heat have made everybody step up their game yep what they did from 2010 to 2014 the championships they've won in the little amount of time that Pat Riley has been there they have forced everyone else and this could not have been imagined in the mid-90s early 2000s when this this is supposed to be a football town yeah i mean at its root it is you i have there's people here that go have been with me to Traz Powell on a friday night yeah i have been numerous places on a thursday friday night and yeah. high school football here draws more a bigger crowd than some marlins games no for sure this is a football town there is wagers like being placed on pop warner games because this is this is the hotbed. There's three acres of Miami that provides more than, I, I wouldn't say half, but it's, nah, a, but a, it's, a, good, it's a ton of a talent, bro. It's a, a, it's a ton of talent. talent that you can find all the way starting from West Palm Beach all the way down to the Keys. And here come you know? the Miami Heat and do the unthinkable. Yeah, Bring in Shaq. They win a championship. And then comes in the big three era and the Heatles. And all of a sudden, the talk of the town is the Miami Heat. And we've never been known for basketball. No. So then let me ask you this, Vic, because we have a substantial Latin and, and Hispanic population. That's what we're built on here in Miami. And for the most part, we get baseball, right? That's what yep. everybody grows up playing. Everybody that's, grows up playing that's, baseball. That's what T-ball. everybody plays, you know, pony ball and all that. So we get the Marlins in 97 with a win. We disband the team. We get the Marlins with another win in 03. Do the same thing all over again. Why didn't that catch on? Why didn't we become a baseball town? 
You can't betray. You can't betray your. You family. can't betray, bro. We knew that the moment that they did the second, you know, bailout or whatever you want to call it, where they sold out on everything. The moment they did that again, every single Marlins fan was like, "Fuck you." No matter what you do, you're going to have a real hard time buying my loyalty back. Because I believe I, they would have stuck around. Because they would have stuck, stuck around. I, I We did I stick around. a mini game plan in 06 and, and watching Don Trell and Hanley Ramirez and Dan Ugla and that train catching on and then you dismantle the team. And then you, you bring in uh, Joe Girardi. Yep. You bring, he wins manager of the year and you dismiss him at the end of the year. I think Jeffrey Loria set back the franchise a long way, and I think Derek Jeter. I'm not a big fan of Derek Jeter, the player. I respect him, but I think he was not the best shortstop on that Yankee team. I, th- I thought A-Rod was, but... I don't like him because he's a Yankee point blank, period. <laughs> I get that. That's just me, dog. It, it is what it is. Going back to Steve's point from the beginning is, it's made everybody else step up their game. Right. And then Derek Jeter comes into town. And I remember placing a wager with, with a close friend of mine. He told me, Derek Jeter's a winner. He was a Yankee fan. He's from, from New York. Tells me, Derek Jeter's a winner. Within five years, don't make the playoffs. I said, what? What, <laughs> what do you want? Dinner on, on whoever loses. Derek Jeter made the playoffs within five years. Yeah. yeah. And, no, all- and he's in prime position to continue to make the playoffs. And he's making all the right moves. So, sold the rights to the stadium. He, he's got a young core around him. <sighs> I, I like what Derek Jeter's doing, and it's forced the Dolphins to do the same. Right. If if you look at it, it's the blueprint. It's the Miami Heat blueprint for success in Miami. So we got plans. We got That's plans, what it is. And, and, you know, obviously we, we can plan all we want, but then we got it. It comes down to the execution, and right now the Marlins are off to a sluggish start. Two and what do you, six, what do you, bro. What do you owe that to? I mean, for me, it's a young team learning how to play together, learning how to win, Right. If you look at the relievers, they've lost most of the games that we've been in because our starting pitcher isn't bad. You know, Trevor Rogers the other day, he gave up three innings in the first, bounced back and, and put up a solid five innings after that. But then the relief pitchers came in and we gave up another three, four runs. That shit is heartbreaking to a pitcher to be like, okay, I kind of did my best to hold it down and you guys just gave up another one. And then he bounces back and he gets the win on Saturday, goes six innings, right? Another eight strikeouts. A solid performance that you wouldn't think that he would be able to do because of who he is, right? He does, he's not a big name. Um, Sandy, too. He, he's pitched well for us two times. Hasn't come away with the victory yet. Tough, you know? It's tough when you have the talent in places, right? But you don't have it everywhere. And right now, the Marlins can't afford for other reasons other than money, right? Straight up money. They just are still in the in the in the works of building it, you know. Um something that we didn't mention was the GM that he hired. Um yeah. Kim Hank. Kim Hank. You know? That that lady is gonna make huge strides down here in, in Miami because we do have one of the best farm systems. Yeah, her, her resume is impressive. It, it goes back to what you said. I think it's the pitching, not necessarily starting pitching, but the bullpen. Anthony yep. Bass, you give him money and he's automatically demoted because of his blown saves. Two home runs and nine base runners allowed on just 16 batters' face. Yeah. It's just, you, you can't get that production from your starting pitching and then have your closer just blow it, especially when you've been paid. The only person they've invested in has been you, and you're just – look, the pitching is not bad. 11th in, in the majors right now with a two – it's a two six two no, 366 ERA. Which is not bad. It's not bad. Over eight games. It's not – 
but your pitching, uh, your your, your middle relief is twenty fourth in the league. Yeah, it's rough. With an ERA of two fifteen, on base percent of two eighty eight. So it's not your your starting rotation. It's your hitters that aren't. But again, it's a long season, and you just got started. So you know, and you feel, give them the benefit of the doubt for sure. You got to give them benefit of the doubt. And look, one thing. But when that, you have the second worst record in the majors, and you're coming off a playoff, it's tough run. It, it sucks. But again, granted, it's just. Two and eight or, or two and six on two the and year. Six right now, but it's I, a long, long season. I so. really trust in Donnie Baseball to kind of, you know, guide this team in the right direction. You know, he's done it before. We've seen it, and that's what they have lacked for years on out. A consistent now, coach. There's trust now, right? Between there's the no front office and the coach, Derek Jeter, because he's proven, and there's no reason to not trust Don Mattingly because he's proven. So for the first time in a long time. For the first time since you can ever remember, there's trust in the Marlins organization. When have you ever had that? Papo, I don't think... You didn't trust Wayne Huizenga. Absolutely not. You definitely didn't trust Jeffrey Loria. No, absolutely not. So for the first time, there's this positivity. There's this great feeling around the Marlins organization, especially coming off. Last year was... Incredible. The fact that they were able to overcome that pandemic... Remember, that, the Marlins were the first team to re, be really hit by COVID. 18 players went on that list. A bunch of no-namers. Yo, I remember the reaction was like, oh, my God, they're going to shut the season down, and it's going to be the Marlins, and they're going to, you know, whatever the hell happened after that was nothing because the Marlins, like you said, were able to bounce back and literally, you know, overcome great odds to make their first playoff appearance since that year where we won the World Series. You know, and that's huge. You know, forget about the circumstances, COVID, not COVID, whatever. For a young team like that to make the playoffs. It's how you started off the segment. The Heat have set this. The tone. This groundwork of when you trust in Pat Riley. Pat Riley is godfather. So when a player like Jimmy Butler comes in and Pat Riley says, this needs to be your body fat in order to succeed. you, You listen to that. You buy it. So when Derek Jeter tells you this is what it takes to be a Hall of Famer and Derek Jeter's your owner and Derek Jeter's the one teaching you how to do it day in and day out, there's that trust factor. And I'll tell you what, I, there, I do trust the Marlins. I trust everything that's going on with that front office and, and with our players. I'll tell you who I don't trust. It's those damn umpires. Oof. I don't know how you guys feel about that recent blow. Let me call. tell you, dog. That, <laughs> that, that, shit got me, that shit got me hot. That was some real, real bullshit, bro. And it was bullshit because, again, it was a pivotal moment in the game. We could have won that game to make it a two-game win streak, right, instead of us losing that game. But the fact that the umpire rung him out, like he struck him out, and then when he sees Buddy reaction to be like, oh, yeah, it hit me, then he changed his mind. Exactly. And like I told you last time, bro, there's too many stupid-ass rules in baseball. Too many stupid-ass rules in baseball. And not being able to review shit like that is one of them. You know, if you're going to have instant replay, use it for everything. Use it for intent. Use it for whatever. Because Especially if not... the game is on the line, right? Yeah. If not, what's the point of having that technology? What's the point of even, you know, being able... For him to be able to challenge it and be like, oh, I'm sorry, it's not reviewable. That's just dumb. And that shit cost us because it probably would have gave us a little bit momentum. Being three and five is a lot different than being two and six, you know. And the Marlins just right now have to find a way to bounce back. You know, we had Sunday's game postponed due to weather, and now they got to go to Atlanta and start another uh, road street uh, road. Uh, what am I trying to say here? Road trip. That's the word. Road trip in Atlanta. <laughs> I'm so glad Vic is here, dude. Dude, <laughs> brain fart and. 
you know, we got to see what they're made of. Can they bounce back from some type of adversity, right, where things change for them and find some winning ways, you know, because they're going to need it. We, de- we definitely need it right now. They're going to need it. Man, what a Masters weekend, bro. It's, a, it's the best weekend out of the year. Seriously, though, so, like. I guess, for me at least. No, for, for anybody who's a fan of, like, you know, tradition and sports and whatnot, the Masters is where it's at, bro, because they keep everything, like, true to spec. Like, nothing's changed from, obviously, you know, they changed the greens and, and whatnot, but, like, the atmosphere or the, I don't know, the ambiance yeah. that surrounds the Masters is, like, I mean, crazy. you said it. The Masters is, is, you know, synonymous with tradition. I mean, that's what you get every year. You're going to get the same colors. You're going to get the same venue. You're going to get the same, same pimento food. cheese sandwiches, you know what right. I mean? But every year, you were going to have a new champion. And this year, that was Hideki Matsuyama. So, and big sh- shout-out to him. Shout-out to winning Hideki, the Masters bro. Green jacket. Because, you know, it was tough to get into the lead like he did. Because on Saturday, Justin, like, before play on Saturday, Justin Rose was leading as minus seven. 40-year-old Justin Rose, which uh, is pretty impressive. Yeah, he went seven under on the first day on Thursday when everybody else in the field was going, you know, three under at best. You yep. know, he had a four-stroke lead on, on the rest of the field. And going into Saturday, he pretty much had that same lead. But moving day, that's my favorite day of the tournament. That's where anything can happen. And that's where you had guys come from behind. And I think what fucked him up really was the weather delay. You know, the weather delay, like, kind of killed his momentum. Hideki was able to relax, and then next thing you know, he comes out and shoots a minus 14. I don't know, man. I, just, I don't think the weather had so much to do with it. Ah. Justin Rose had to do with it. He's not built for that. Ah, not, but look. Anybody can have a one good round at Augusta. It takes a true champion to, to have four good rounds and wear that green jacket at the end. That's true, but he didn't do that bad either. Right? No. Because he, f- he finished, like, at what? Minus seven for the, for the tourney? Yeah. No, well, he actually ended up dropping, but he ended up uh, not even rounding out the top five. He was in the top ten, but, you know, for having a, a seven-stroke lead, you know, the, or, you know, shooting seven under the first day, I would expect you to have a top five finish. But the Masters do that to you, dog. It, it can, man. It but, breaks you, dog. I mean, just like we saw. I mean, we, you know, it was kind of boring on Sunday. There was a lot of people talking about how boring it was a little bit to an extent, but it got kind of exciting in the back nine because Xander uh, Shoffley par- paired up with uh, Hideki Matsuyama, went on a four birdie tear four back-to-back birdies kind of you know closed the gap Hideki had put one in the water and ended up bogeying one it was two strokes away going into 16 on number 16 Xander puts that that oh no ball into the water and Hideki ends up you know he ends up actually bogeying that same hole but because of the fact that Xander uh put it in the water and triple bogeyed he was he just put himself out of you know contention and that's when Hideki just needed to close out strong for sure and that's some of the mind games that that happens to you when you're playing golf Vic I don't know if you've ever played golf but that's one of the toughest mental sports because it's literally you out there by yourself trying to hit this little white ball as perfect as you can every time you swing the (laughs) swing the club you know and and that shit just it doesn't work out and I know I felt better because I suck at golf right but when I see the pros miss and the guys double bogey and triple bogey and I'm like yep I could do this if he can miss three shots I can miss four shots why not but the Masters was dope, man. They, it was awesome. It was really great tournament. Like you said, it wasn't a lot of action, but Xander made it kind of interesting. I felt like my favorite part was the homie Will. I forget how you say his last Will name. Will Zalatoris. Zalatoris, he was a, a rookie. Yeah, first time coming out to the to the Masters this year. Nah, my favorite part was he looked like the kid from Happy Gilmore. <laughs> the Mr. caddy. Gilmore's caddy, yeah, yeah. That was the whole running joke this whole weekend. But I'll tell you what, man, he made a whole lot more this weekend than Happy Gilmore's caddy ever made. 1.2 milli, easy. Easy for third place, bro. And I was explaining this second, to Second, no, second. Second he place, second you're right. Himself. And I was explaining to one of the, this to one of our homeboys on Saturday when we were chilling. Vic, I told him, I was like, man, you know, maybe the sport for somebody to be is in is golf like if you have a child and you're like well basketball's too hard my kid's not gonna be six eight 
Maybe I should put him into golf or her into golf and see what happens because, man, to get paid to just make the cut, that's a good, good feeling, bro. I don't know too many sports that, that allow that, you know? That'll, that'll pay second place that much money? <laughs> second place, no, man? Not many. What, what I took away most from the Masters, not being a golfing, obviously it, what you guys mentioned, the Masters are on. It's just like watching Wimbledon, the U.S. Open. Right. Uh, those big events, you just tune in for that. But what I took away most from, from the Masters is – the reality of sports. Yeah. The, I, I've said this from, from day one. I, I tell this to my wife all the time. I'm a big reality uh, TV fan. I, I'll watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Uh, <laughs> I, I know the first reality show was Cops. I've real, real World, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. I've watched all that stuff. But to me, there's no better reality show than sports. Nah. You can't make it up. Like w- What sports gives you is this script that if you were try to, trying to sell that to Hollywood, they would deny it because you can't make it up. What's going on in the world right now, current events, is Asian hate. Yep. That is what's dominating the headlines. Sadly. We've seen it everywhere, and here comes this Japanese golfer. To win the biggest golf tournament in sports, the bro. the first Japanese male golfer to win the Masters. Only an eight-year pro. You can't make this up. No. And Jim Nance said it. He was like, yo, this guy's going to light the candle at the next Olympics for sure. And winning it 10 years after he won the low am at the Masters. He had the the second longest drought uh, on tour four years after Jordan Spieth. Jordan Spieth just just won the other day at Valero in Texas right before this tournament. Broke his drought. And now a week later, here comes Hideki and breaks his four-year drought too. I mean, just to your point, Who would have told you on Thursday the number 25 golfer in the world is going to go ahead and win the Masters. Nobody, bro. We went through the list of golfers in the top 10, and we didn't even mention Matsuyama. I'll tell you, Hideki was not in my, my fan duel. Hell no. Incredibly, he Hell was not no. in my fan Number 25, and, and the win just got him to number 14. So it's just that tells you Mo money. what he has accomplished yeah. and, and what it's doing for Japan because it's Japan hosting the Olympics this year, and here comes this Japanese golfer, it's something they're not no, not known for. He he himself told you afterwards yep. when asked, who are the golfers you looked up to? He mentions Tiger Woods, but golf is not even his favorite sport. It's not what he grew up watching. He will name a bunch of baseball players that those are his inspirations. It's not a golfer. So to me, it's just, it's crazy how sports can do this because I, I don't think there's anything else out there. You can't, again, you can't write that script and sell it to Hollywood and expect somebody to buy it because... It's just unheard of. No, for sure. And he was extremely humble, even after winning, you know. he Extremely humble in the sense that, you know, they're asking him, how does it feel to win? What, is, what, do you, what does this mean to you? And he's like, I just hope that I'm good enough to be accepted by the rest of the golfers. And I'm really happy for my country. Very humble dude. They even asked him, like, oh, you know, what do you think this is going to mean for the Japanese players coming behind him? He's like, I just hope I'm a good example and something they can look up to. Again, something no, we don't ever see really in sports, that humbleness. And like you said, Vic, it couldn't have happened to a much better guy with a better Hollywood script. Very, very graceful and very humble. I think the, the most iconic moment of the whole weekend was after the tournament was over. He had won. He was going to the scores to turn in a score. And you see his caddy come out onto the 18th green, mm. take the, the pin out, take the flag off the pin. And he takes his hat off and bows to the course, you know, as, Such a, as a sign of respect, not just for the game, but for the course, for everything. And, and that right there tells you everything you need to know about who Hideki Matsuyama is. Just won the sure. Masters, biggest tournament in golf on PGA. And he spotted this morning at the Atlanta airport, sitting alone with his green jacket next to him. 
Winner to catch a flight to Chicago from there connecting to Japan. Chill, he's walking tremendo supreme book back there too, dog. Let's not <laughs> let's not miss that out. He was walking tremendo, tremendo supreme book back there. Five Miami Hurricanes. You know Japan gets his. No, Japan for sure. Gets those fire drops, bro. You know that they do, they do. But I'll still take my UN book bag, like Vic said, over anything like that. Oh yeah, but. You know, we got we got a good uh, tournament coming up. The Chubs is coming up this weekend. Not a big tournament, but some golf players are going to be in there. Some of your favorite pros. I wanted to cover real quick how we did on our picks. Did you check that out? Um, well, I had Bryson. I picked Bryson. Bryson, you know, ended up not doing that great. Oof. And then I had Spieth. And Spieth yeah. actually tied for thir- top three. He was actually the, the, my main guy that I was rooting for. And yeah. I was real happy with, with his performance. He's, he's almost back to his championship form. Yo, my dark horse didn't even make the cut, dog. I know. I saw Can't I didn't, didn't even make the that. cut. It was brutal. For him. I don't Get know why you wanted to bring it up. We could have just kind of nah, you know, because <laughs> I, I feel better about it because I didn't put money on Kenley. Yeah, that, yeah. That's something that caught my eye. So, so the winner from last year didn't make the cut. Oh, Dustin Johnson. Yeah. Well, you got to understand too. The the Masters last year was played in November. Right. That was a completely different golf course. At that, that was a COVID Masters. It was a completely different golf course. The way that it played, like balls would you know you would hit the ball and they would stick wherever you wanted to. Here we were seeing multiple instances where it would just roll for days off the green, back towards you. You know what I mean? It was just a whole different. As an golf avid golf fan, does that not take away from the tournament for you as seeing? Because you're supposed to place a green jacket on the winner. The fact that he was not even in the competition, does that take away from it at all for you? No, not necessarily. He's been struggling as of late, and he's still a great player in his own. He has, you know, I think, the most tour wins on, you know, right now Currently, after right. after Tiger and Phil. Um, he has like t- over twenty, I think twenty three wins. He, you know, he's a major champion. He's a Masters champion. So the resume is there. He's a the number one player in the world. So it's just a matter of he had a bad week, you know. No, and I feel like again he's waiting for that big breakout. Right. And he just didn't happen for him this weekend because we've seen him play some pretty consistent golf and something that you alluded to earlier. You know, when for us, right, who are novices, Joel's a little bit more than a novice than I am. Um, when you see the greens or or golf courses playing different, that's really tough because, like Joel said, you know, one, you know, one tournament, everything's hard and the, and the greens are pretty fast. Next tournament, you know, you get some really soft greens and uh, or some fairways not as pretty and it's really hard and maybe your ball bounces. Or even, for instance, uh, I saw, I think it was the eighth or ninth hole where you couldn't even see the hole on the dog leg. Yeah, there's, you, a, there's a ton of dog leg. You know, and you got to drive it 300 yards to even hope your ball gets close enough where you can play it well. It's just a different aspect of the different challenges that a golfer faces. For me, you know, whenever the weather changes, stuff like that, you got to roll with it and you got to play it, play it how it is, man. Not to mention, this was one of the first events back with fans. So they got fans there that you yeah. have that element. You have the, the weather, you have the rain delays, those thunderstorm delays, and then you got an entire field of killers. You got all these guys that any one of these guys could have won. You got a guy... And Will Zalatoris, who's a rookie on the PGA, first time at the Masters, Bali. coming up in solo second. So that's the beauty of the Masters. All in all, I was happy with it. I, I really can't wait for the next one to come back around. Me too, bro. It's the Me best too. major in sports. Facts. All right, we've reached the point of the show where we have to get into Victor Bermudez's wheelhouse, which is boxing. Dan Joel just killed me right here. I mean, I try, bro. I'm, it's I'm all right, learning, dog. Right? I'm learning. It's okay. But I wanted to touch a lot of topics in boxing with you, Vic, because um, you and I go way back always with our boxing conversations. Obviously, we know how much you love boxing and shit like that. Um, Favorite boxer being Roy Jones. You even named your dog Roy Jones. Or we named your dog. (laughs) We we named your dog Roy Jones. My my dog's name was Rocky. Nah. And there was a reason for that, going back to boxing. But he was the... 
his name his change was named rather quickly. Yeah, man. You know, that's what the homies do, right? When you see a dog and you're like, you know, Rocky, he doesn't look like a Rocky. He looks more like a Roy Jones Jr. <laughs> We're gonna go with Roy Jones Jr. But you know, obviously boxing is huge down here in, in Florida. It's obviously gaining momentum. Um, we have some local talent and we have some big fights coming up that have been announced. I want to kind of start with the local talent because that's what means the most to me, you know, especially starting in our own little town right here, which is Hialeah. We have our own Aaron Aponte, who's the alien king. <laughs> Weird nickname, but hey, Hell of it, a nickname, it is what it is, bro. And I'm really impressed about this kid's hunger, you know, because he, he obviously knows that boxing is a difficult sport to make it in, right? It's not a, a sport, quote unquote, it's more of a business and you it's the business of being hurt and hurting people. For, for somebody from Hialeah to be on that path where they're going to be able to have those opportunities and you've seen it firsthand, man, it's really amazing. And and I'm not going to lie, when you put me on to him, I was like, bro, I got to find out who this kid is, you know, because you're not going to just name drop to anybody, you know, to, to, to me especially. But when I saw Aaron and his skills and what he does for his community, he had a bunch of kids go to his undercard fight on the Canelo Alvarez fight down here at Dolphin Stadium. Really impressed with, with, with that kid, man. What can you tell me more about him, Vic? A kid born and raised in Hylia Gardens, and I, I didn't know much about him. I literally just met him, I, I would say, last year in 2020 when his manager, who's a great friend of mine, Peter Kahn, had this guy, Xander Zayas, who I'm really good friends with and out of Puerto Rico, and he's on, on Boxeo Telemundo, and, and I guaranteed him, hey, I'll, I'll put make sure you're the undercard on, on that fight because he's young. Right. But then I'm asked, can you get this other fighter on? And I was told uh, he, he should, you know, produce. Right. And I'm always skeptical. Like, you know, the managers are always telling, trying to get their fighters I on. got a winner on my hands. And I tell them all the time. I'm like, look, I'm in the t television business. I'm in the ratings business. Mm. If you produce and you're good enough, I, I like what I see. I'm going to put you on television because it's only good for business. Right. And here's this kid, Aaron Aponte. And, and I don't know anything about him. I didn't even know he was from Hialeah. I knew he was from Miami because he told he tells me I don't want to say I'm from Hialeah. I changed that. Really? I changed that. I said no, no, no. You, no, you keep I that know shit, that. bro. You're from Hialeah. Everybody knows Miami. Um, and he changed that because he was gonna come out in the Canelo fight as Miami, Florida. I said no, no. You need nah. to come out as Hialeah, Florida. Facts. Uh, make them Google Hialeah. Make them see where you're from. Teach them the struggle. And this kid, I, I, I didn't know where he was from, and I'm just being pressured. Hey, can you put him on? Put him, put him on. And that fight is pre-taped. It's I went live with the main event, so I was able to see my, the result. And here's this kid, Aaron Aponte, out of Miami, Florida, and gets in there, first round, knocks out his opponent in 54 Puts in seconds. work. Puts and in work. That catches my eye as a producer. I'm like, this is what my audience wants to see, bodies hitting the floor. And, and he did that. Uh, exceptionally well and so he made his pro debut on Boxeo Telemundo badass that right there starts a relationship and then just getting to know him even closer during the Canelo uh, fight week right that that week I got really really close with him it was a bubble so it's not like other fight week coverages you see, you the guys same, were staying in the same hotel, right? You you have to, so it's yeah. the, the media, and and you enter this bubble, and it's I, I don't want to compare it to jail because I, I, we have plenty of people that've been to jail. It's not that. <laughs> Stay out of there, guys. But you can't shout out TGK. <laughs> you can't go anywhere. You're basically seeing the same faces every day, and 
just having the conversations, having breakfast, having, you know, so I, I got to know him really well. I interviewed him at, at length and spoke to him and he just, it, it hit me like this kid is one of us, like born and raised the same way, Hylia Gardens, Trains on Okeechobee Road. You could tell, too, by his little blowout, dog. I saw him rocking yeah. the, you remember, the, like, the 98 blowout where all the gangsters had their hair up and people had, like, the blowout. He was like, don't touch the top. Just just yeah. hit me right here <laughs> on, the, on the side right here and a little bit in the back. And, you know, it's impressive. It's impressive to see talent come like that from Hialeah because, like, like we've known, you know, boxing is really, really hard to make it in. And he's definitely on his way because, shit, if you're fighting on a Canelo on their card, I don't care if people see it or not, A, your name's going to be on that, on, that, on that showcase, right? And B, people are going to eventually tune in. Promoters, uh, the executives from, like, Top Rank and ESPN and, you know, all these different uh, boxing communities. That's where it goes. We started this podcast, and, and I told you about relationships yeah, and bro. how important they are to me. So I put this kid on Boxeo Telemundo, and we stay in touch. And then his manager, Peter Kahn, who I'm extremely close with, that fight, the, the fact that I decided to put him on Boxeo Telemundo led to a meeting with matchroom boxing promoter Eddie Hearn. Nice. In Vegas, and they show him the 54-second clip, and immediately he tells him, I need you to be on the undercard in Miami, Florida, because it's in your backyard. Can you make it? 1-0 fighter. Yeah, crazy. Had a 1-0 career and caught the eye. Of of, Eddie so Hurt. then he was, the moment he saw me, he was like, hey, man, you're the reason for this. You put me on. And I told him, no, you, you did the work. And it was, you made it easy for me because I'd like the knockout. Yeah, and keep it again, coming, Again, I'm buddy. in the ratings business. It looked good, so I'm going to put you on. But it's, I'm just impressed by this kid, young, 23-year-old. Hungry. And, Hungry. And speaking to him that week, all week, he told me, I'm going to knock him out. I'm going to knock And I believed it because, man, you knocked out your, 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 your pro first debut. first opponent, right. In the first round. And then I see who he's fighting, and I see the guy is 6-1 and one out of Boston. And I look at Peter, and I'm like, are you, are you out of your mind? Your fighter's 1-0. This guy's 6-1. and one. Like, that's a, that's a big difference, difference in experience. But going back to Aaron and how smart he is, all week long he's telling me, I'm going to knock him out. I'm going to knock him out. And he's looking at his opponent at every press conference, at every face-off, telling him, I'm going to knock you out. I'm going <laughs> to kill you in the first round. I'm going to knock you out. What happens in the fight? But the kid has read The Art of War four times. Crazy. 23 years old. I, I, I hear that's a pretty big book. I, I don't Oh, you don't do books. books? I do game notes. <laughs> I do stats. I do box scores, recaps. I'm not a big book guy. And I hear that. And then it's, that's what the, I'm told, because again, I don't read books. That's what the art of war is. I'm going to, I'm telling you I'm going to do this. So when you think I'm coming this way, I'm actually coming from the other way. And all week long, he told him, and he played psychological mind games with him. And I saw it within the fight, within the first round. I see his opponent, and I'm nervous as hell because that's my reputation. I l decided to lend my name to this just because he's from Hialeah. Just because he's from Hialeah. So I'm putting him on national television with interviews and, and fights. So but I want to talk about how, how he won the fight, you know, because that was more impressive to me. And that's, you know? what, that's what I'm getting to, the fact that it, it was the psychological mind game. Yeah. It's, I'm telling him I'm going to do this, so his opponent comes in tensed up. I mean, tight, because he's like, wow, this guy's going to hit me with everything he's got. I'm going to absorb it, but he doesn't. It's elusive, and he's picking his shots, and he's being slick with it. And he frustrates him to the fact that he is so upset and frustrated that he starts signaling things to the crowd. He starts, he, 
lands an intentional headbutt that he has a point removed from. And in addition to that, he gets dropped in the fourth round. It's a four-round fight. No, it's like we t- like they say in boxing. You know, everybody has a plan until they get hit in the mouth, and then you know, and then they, they got to figure it out off, and improvise. Wins, wins by unanimous decision, and and cruises to a two-zero start. Is fighting now next week on April seventeenth here at the Seminole Hard Rock Hotel on the, Casino. The, uh, Demetrius And Andre on fight, the undercard. Right? Yeah, and from there the, the plan is, and I'll probably get in trouble for this, but it's fighting <laughs> June fifth. Yo, don't the chill, dog. We don't want the feds coming to knock on our door, dog. What are you gonna say right now? The the idea is to get him right back in the in in the ring, and he'll be on June fifth, right back down here in Miami, Florida, on the Delfimo Lopez undercard. That's badass. That's you awesome. know, you know what's crazy? And I'm told they, they need to keep him busy. You have it to. might be the high Leo thing in him. They they got to keep him off the streets. They got to because I I've had these conversations with him. He's still as we all are. You know, you're friends with certain people that do certain things. They maybe if you're trying to go this route, you yeah, shouldn't it's not still the best be route. keeping around. And and he does that. But I think with boxers, especially in boxing, right? They do more to protect somebody's record. You know, if they got a young upcoming fighter, somebody who they think they can make a world champion, they'll be a little bit more selective of who they fight, when they fight, how often they're they fight. They're all handpicked. Yeah, I, look, absolutely. I, I just I looked at the record and I said, "Oh my God, six and one! Like that's a lot of experience for a guy who just made his pro debut and just fought for fifty-four seconds. Like that. Oh, yeah. Peter, what are you doing? You're you're out of your mind." But they're, they're picking, styles make fights, and they're picking the right styles for him. And l- let's see. Let's see let's what see. happens. I think, I think he is going to be an exciting draw, right? Somebody who's going to put on fights while he learns his craft, you know? You mentioned that he can be on the Teofimo Lopez undercard, which is going to be down here in May. June 5th. June 5th. Um, they just announced, weird as hell, Evander Holyfield is going to fight Kevin McBride. Did you see that, bro? I, I did not. Bro, First of all, why is that old-ass man fighting? Wasn't Tyson going to fight again? They talked about it, but I don't think anything ever came about it because the, was the money wasn't right. Field, wasn't he? Tyson wanted a lot of money. and, and the money, Evander, bro. The, the reason Pay for the Kevin man. McBride. Pay him what? Pay him. I want to see Tyson. I don't care how old he is. I want to see Tyson in the ring again. Chill. It's we Tyson. saw the fight against Roy Jones Jr., and that shit was not I entertaining. Saw I saw it too, man. That shit was not entertaining. But what you saw was... I felt like it was scripted. You know what I'm saying? We need, we need to just let them put the, put the money out there and just be like, listen, this is enough money to put your family through everything that they need to if you die. Just go out there and have one last hurrah. Let's see. Bro, that money doesn't exist, dog. <laughs> what are you talking <laughs> about? Because if you think about it, like, which promoter in their right mind is going to pay Randy Holyfield $50 million to fight? Nobody. Nah, nah, not a bad. All right. So then you start lowering it down, lowering it down, and then next thing you know, you're paying them maybe yeah. 15, 20 grand to go out there and do an amateur fight for like four to six rounds. That shit is whack, dog. I saw that news and I was like, man, whatever. But it's good for Teofimo Lopez because it brings more hype to his undercard, and I know he's trying to do big things. Um, somebody you mentioned, well, I wanted to bring this up to both of you guys because we've talked about it on the podcast before. Um, there's strong indications that Manny Pacquiao is going to end up fighting Terrence Crawford pretty soon. For me, I don't want to see Crawford waste this time not fighting the elite guys in his in his weight class. Not to say that Pacquiao isn't elite, but I just feel like a fight with Pacquiao is almost always there because he's willing and able and well, game. It's not almost always there. He's 43 years old. Eh, that, does, I, does he look like he's close to retiring to you? I, I guess not because of his last performance against Keith Thurman, but Terrence is a different animal. I understand that. That's why I kind of want to see Terrence fight somebody else in, 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 in that division. You know, the, the dream is for him to fight Spence, right, and really see that become 
the mega fight of mega fights, right? Because you got two undefeated champions, right? Two big-time trash talkers, two of the best young boxers in the game right now, and they should be on a collision course. But for the politics in boxing, and that's what kind of kills me when it comes to it, it it, it really kills any potential for big-name fights that we're used to seeing, you know? Because if you're going to be a champion, you have to be a champion by fighting the best of the best and your mandatory you know, opponents, because you got to play both ways. You know, you got to go by the list and you got to beat the guys who champions in order to have that belt. What do you think about Terrence Crawford fighting Manny Pacquiao? Like, you think that's going to be a fight that really propels Crawford into a Spence fight? Absolutely. Yeah? Absolutely. I I think it's the best option at welterweight. Outside of Earl Spence. I know that that's the fight that everybody wants to see, but... You're talking about a Manny Pacquiao who just made Keith Thurman look silly, dropped Keith Thurman. Keith Thurman was at one time considered the king of the division, and then the injury started occurring. Right. But who in the welterweight division outside of Earl Spence would you want to see him fight? Danny Garcia against, what, Terrence nah, Crawford? Really? Nah. You want to see that? I think I'm, I'm over Danny Garcia right now, to be honest with you, bro. And it's not a... a Virgil Ortiz, 17-0, 17 knockouts. Is he ready for a Terrence Crawford? I don't think so. No. There was talks about that fight. Terrence Bud was at, at that fight. I wouldn't do that just yet. Of course not. You, but I'm saying, like, why why not them do the first fight now, right? If you're if you're a promoter and you have Crawford, you gotta figure, okay, how many mega mega fights can I get out of him? Maybe three, three mega fights. One of those or two of those mega fights could be with Spence and you, or with Crawford, you know. And having those guys start a trilogy where it becomes something like. You know, that Hagler Hearns type thing, you know, where they're fighting multiple times and people really want to pay top notch dollar to see that. Now you're getting into generation and what this generation lacks is they're they're afraid to be beat. They think the only way to make money in the sport is by keeping that O. That's because of Mayweather, though, dog. Yeah. And it's it's he's he set that tone. And unfortunately, it's it's hurting the business. Because, look, Anello, to me, is the pound-for-pound king yet. He's, he's the best boxer right after he's Mayweather. One, he has one loss on his record. But Terrence, I, I think that fight's going to happen. But it's just they need to come to an agreement and understand they, they need the, each they other. They need each other, man. And money's playing a poly, huge part in it. One doesn't want to split 50-50. The promoters are another part. Bob Arum is... You know, on the side of Terrence Crawford, then you have Al Heyman with Premier Boxing on the side of Errol Spence, and I, I'll, I'll tell you this: Terrence Crawford needs Earl Spence Jr. more than what Errol needs Terrence Crawford. Probably, probably because again, I feel like Spence is more willing to get in there and be like, "I'll take my mandatory." A better resume, better resume is for on sure. Errol Spence side for sure, for sure. The hype is probably more behind Crawford, right? But we've seen him get into some battles with people that we don't expect to him be in a battle with. Obviously, he ends up coming out on top, but we've never seen Spence in trouble like that. So that's kind of why I was intrigued it's as different to styles. It's different yeah. styles. Look, Terrence starts off slow, but the saying in boxing, "There's no better closer." Yeah, Terrence finishes fights. And since his move up to welterweight, six straight knockouts, the power's there. Now, when you match that with a good boxer, which Errol Spence is, then that's the big question mark. That's the draw. That's what you want to see. But why? going back to the beginning, why Manny Pacquiao? Because Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence don't sell. No, but Manny does. When you're, you're fighting in Omaha, Nebraska, that's a, there's a reason for it. Because <laughs> you can't do well in Vegas. You don't no. do well in, in Madison Square Garden where you fought. So that and, and then Earl only fights in Dallas. 
which is I know weird. he fought in other locations, but yeah, but that shit is weird, dog. Like like I said, you know, those guys need to realize something that they have the boxing world by the nuts. You know, they need to treat it they like don't. They, they really don't. They, they really don't. They could I, if they honestly, decided to I, I say, hey, you know I, what? I, I want to fight. What if they both decide, you know what? Let's make it happen. Let's make it happen. You know, and we'll put the bullshit aside. You know, we'll set it on three different pay-per-views, whatever. Let's make it happen. What's stopping them from doing that? Politics. Politics, you know and what I'm saying? promotional side. So I don't think it's it's neither them willing to take on the challenge, right? Because, look, we see Crawford, you know, stepping up to fight Pacquiao because we know Pacquiao's going to give him a real fucking fight. It's not like Pacquiao's going to walk in and be like, okay, hit me for 12 rounds. No, Pacquiao's going to bring the pressure. He's going to move the pace. He's going to throw a ton of punches and give Crawford a fight like he's never seen. But That's what's most intriguing to me. If I, he I loses, want to see how, how Terrence Crawford does man. against a Manny Pacquiao. Because if Manny Pacquiao is just competitive, the, the least bit competitive, steals a couple, not, not a couple, steals. No, wins rounds, not rounds. steals, wins rounds, because we know he can. Then what does that say about the welterweight division? Mm. When he just came in, he's fighting once every year and a half. Look what he did to Keith Thurman, made him look silly. And now is competitive against the second, or wherever you want to put him, one, two, three, pound for pound. For sure. In, in the world, if that happens... What is there to be said about that welterweight division? Yeah. Are they all frauds? No. What it means is that they haven't been battle-tested. And Pacquiao has been fucking battle-tested. He's had wars. He's had easy fights. He's had championship fights. He's had fights, you know, where he's not the un, not the main event or he's the B-side of the main event. He's got the best resume in the game. In the game. You know, maybe besides longevity, Canelo. Longevity, but on, on top Long, of that. Longevity, so. he has Canelo. But him and him and Canelo are probably neck and neck when it comes to that type of stuff, right? He, I, I say it. The, on, the only active boxer that, that can compete resume level with Pacquiao is, is Canelo. Yeah. But but Pacquiao by far, yeah. The, the names on his resume are just crazy. Now, this, this may be a dumb question because I'm obviously not the boxing you know guru in the room, but where does Ryan Garcia fit to all, into all of this? Wasn't he in talks of, of fighting Pacquiao? He's in the Pacquiao? back of the bus, Doug. What's going on there? Nah, man, I like Ryan Garcia. Put I like him too, the and, and we, bus, haven't, we haven't talked about him just yet, so where, where does he fit that, in all that's, of this? Uh, that's another one that, that goes back to relationships. Um, Ryan, I've been messing with... Like me and Ryan been been at this for before any national media had paid attention to Ryan Garcia. I was showing up in Los Angeles before he tied tied in with uh, Eddie Reynoso and moved over to San Diego. And Ryan's special. Ryan Ryan at one thirty five is a problem. Um, Delphi Mo Lopez is just on top of the world, the world right now, and, bro. And I don't think anybody can touch Delfimo Lopez, but Ryan Garcia is a problem. Ryan Garcia proved the way he got off the canvas against Luke Campbell. Yeah. And that was a punch that I thought I was watching it with, with Steven, you know, and it's he just, got rocked, bro. He was that shit was impressed. He wasn't supposed to get up. No, no, he wasn't. He wasn't supposed to get up, but Ryan has power in both hands and pays attention. Yeah. Pays attention to his corner understands and and then what's not talked about as often is what Canelo has meant to him the when he moved training camps from Los Angeles when he moved trainers and is now working at a San Diego that partnership with Canelo has propelled his boxing skills Papa when you work with level. the best trainer in boxing right now you know and Reynoso, I think his last name yeah, is. Yeah, Eddie Reynoso. He's, you know, of course you're going to elevate your game, you know. And credit to Ryan Garcia. Like you said, he he's extremely smart and knows what he, what his limitations are, what he needs in order to excel in the boxing game. And him making that move is but genius. That's, that's a great point. Genius. That's a great point made because Ryan Garcia is a bigger draw 
as yeah, young half of as those he guys is, that we talked about, as young as he is, and the resume isn't on par with Terrence or Earl, and that's the bigger draw. Yeah, for sure. But Ryan Garcia is look. I I never he thought, is who he is, dog. I never thought in my life that we would see anything come close to Oscar De La Hoya. Oscar De La Hoya had women taking off their bras and their panties, throwing it at him on stage at weigh-ins, and Ryan Garcia is the closest thing we will see to Oscar De La Hoya. Let's just hope he doesn't start putting on pantyhose and high heels. That's though. the issue, that, right? That's, yeah. that's the issue. <laughs> let's hope. Let's hope. That's the issue, dog. I, I don't issue. think. We, I don't think he will. <laughs> but you never know. You know, you never know. Two but not. Nah, but look, he's definitely. He's definitely focused, right? He's heading in the right direction. He's obviously making the right chess moves, right, in order to have a long, uh, prosperous career in boxing and and continue to build his. I guess, legend, right? And that last fight that he had was definitely part of that, you know, and helping building that. And you mentioned that Xander Zayas, he's fighting soon. He's fighting the same day that George Masvidal is fighting Kamara Usman. Yeah, and, it's a big, and y'all big know, Puerto Rican crowd, in, or, or card, I should say, in, in, in Orlando. Xander's another one, man. Xander, I, I've said this numerous times throughout this podcast, and it's relationship. Guy has dynamite in his hands, bro. Xander, 15 years old, and and Davy and and we were, you know, not hanging out. But I was visiting his camp, and I was told youngest fighter to be signed to a promotional contract by Top Rank. That immediately catches my eye, and I'm like, what? Yeah, who is this kid? Fifteen years old hasn't made his pro debut. It's not like they signed him off of what they saw. It's out of Puerto Rico. They move his family over, signed him to Top Rank. He can't make his pro debut until he turns 18. So the only states that allow a fighter to fight under the age of 18 are Texas and Florida. Las Vegas. Oh, no, shit. Florida, he couldn't. Damn, that's crazy because yeah. Florida has all the crazy rules. Like, oh, we'll let you do anything down here, dog. And you need Xander, to throw a UFC event during COVID? Dollar, we got you. Xander's another kid, man, 18 years of age um, and, and been dealing with him and, and with his parents and, and getting along with him and, and covering his career. For a really long time, seven or no, six I'm excited, knockouts, bro. two out of the seven fights, or I think it's three out of the seven fights on Boxeo Telemundo. Yeah. And, you know, so we have that that in common and we have that partnership. Uh, I'm excited for Xander. I think he's in a tough, tough spot in a tough division, but he's got all the skills in the world. And, and he's got this charisma, speaks English, speaks Spanish. Bro, you can tell on his Instagram, you know, he's very, like, yeah. smooth with it, with his training, how comfortable he is in front of the camera. And on top of that, the people that he trains with, again, his mentality, he's training with former champions and some of the best names in, the, in, in boxing, you know, or have been yeah. in boxing. So that kid, like you said, he really excites me. But him fighting on the Masvidal day is almost like, the biggest thing ever because that Masvidal Kamara Usman fight is gonna be off the fucking chain. Yeah, I, and I don't know it's what ESPN Florida. is gonna do because ESPN has that that Puerto Rican card. In, same same time in Orlando, Oof. and it's the same day. And then obviously on ESPN Plus, ESPN pay per view, they'll have UFC two sixty one with Masvidal Usman. I'm sure Dana is gonna make a right? phone call. Yeah, so yeah. Jackson, you got public. stuff going on at the Hard Rock. You got yep. stuff going on in Orlando, and then you got... Florida's open for business. Let's We're open, it. baby. Call us. You need something? Call us, you know? Come to Florida. But I, I really want to break down that Usman fight because, Vic, you were there Super Bowl weekend last year when Usman ran into um, Masvidal as, and during Radio Row, 
And they obviously got into it. You saw, like, Masvidal doing the shooting fingers, like, I'm going to smoke you or I'm going to kick your ass. And Usman, I think he had a cast on. And George was talking a lot of shit, like, oh, you have a cast or whatever. That's why I don't want to hit you. But the first fight was kind of fucked up because George took that on five days' notice. Yeah. You know, obviously, for you to take a fight, a championship fight at that against a beast, because Usman is a beast of yeah. a wrestler and a fighter, um, that's really hard to do. Granted, you can tell that when he got into the octagon, he was struggling. You know, he was struggling. George struggles to make weight. Yeah, for sure. That's not his weight, bro. It's like, all like croquetas, bro. Yeah. Some coffee, you know. <laughs> but he, he struggles with that weight because he's a big dude. You know, he's pretty tall for that weight class. And for him to make that fight in five days was A, impressive. And B, it kind of sucked because you knew that the outcome was going to either have to be, yeah, Usman's going to wear him down and win by decision. Right, because hardly George, I don't ever see George getting knocked out by anybody in the UFC. Or George was going to come up with some spectacular shit and finish Usman in a way that nobody saw coming. Obviously, none of that happened. But now that they're fighting again, April 24th, full camp for Masvidal, full camp for Usman after a, a recent victory again in the last uh, past two UFCs. Now he has to take on, on one of the deadliest strikers in that division. Because I feel like... George has a game plan on how he wants to attack Usman. And he kind of got to see Usman's bag of tricks in the first fight and be like, okay, I see what, what his movements are. He's going to try some stomp shit. Maybe he you know, tries to put extra weight when he throws me down or whatever. But Masvidal is going to come into this fight with a game plan, and I really feel like he's going to knock Usman out. I don't know about you guys. I mean, and it's not to. the Dade County in me. It's just I feel well, like... It's totally the Dade County. Nah. Uh, it's, it's totally <laughs> the Dade County. He, 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 there's a lot of animosity building up towards this fight. Obviously, they have they have the bad blood. They have the history there. And it, it, it's going to, for you know, for Masvidal, it's going to take something spectacular for him to win this fight, in my Absolutely. opinion. You know, it's going to be something Ben Askren-esque where he comes mm. in, and, and it's something that he plans for and he prepares for because Usman is a true champion, and he's not going to go... He's not going to go easy no for sure he's not going to go easy but i just feel like george's second opportunity at this right he had time to look at him and maybe his last opportunity for sure because he's too george's old time, right george, george is a money maker george just like connor but their time to do what they want to do in in this career which is you you want to win time you want to make money and then on top of that george doesn't make great money nope george has never made over five hundred thousand dollars for a fight it's the robbery of, of and the crook that Dana White is. Yeah. Um, it's a monopoly. He, he, does, he runs the business extremely well for the ownership, not necessarily for the fighter. But George is running out of time for title fights. He's still a big draw. But if you can't win fights, then how are you going to guarantee yourself millions? And th this is a big fight for George. Yeah. Huge. I mean, he, he to, needs to your point. To make this competitive. He needs to make this, put Usman in trouble that he's never been in. And look, I, I I like George a lot. George has done a lot of favors for me. Has invited me to his his training camps. Has invited me to his studios. But I just it's tough to see. Granted, yeah. it's what he says: a full training camp, not eight right. days notice. I don't have to cut weight. I don't have to fly to Saudi Arabia. I'm in my backyard. I'm just making a trip right up down the block. And all of Miami Dade County is coming with me because they sold out within hours. The biggest pre-sale. Ticket sales of you and UFC history, so he has that going for him. Right. He. I mean, to your point, about a fighter though, that's undefeated in the UFC. He's, he's 36 years old. 
You know, he's he's kind of towards the end of his career. He's 35 and, and 14 right now. I mean, that's that's a lot of wear and tear, right? A lot of mileage on him. So I, I agree. I think this is this is the one. I mean, if, if it's all adding up to something, it's adding up to this fight right yeah. here. But you got to win by, like you said, spectacular fashion. You know, you don't want to get into a war with Usman and be like, okay, let's go five rounds. You know, let's go f- fucking 25 minutes. Of, of hardcore wrestling where you have to drag me down and I got to fight getting up and, you know, keep the fight standing up. George has changed his game plan and it's why he, he had so many losses early on in his career because he was trying to save himself. Yeah. He thought, okay, I, I need to save myself for the later rounds. And what changed him is, and the wins started piling up and he had the best year of his career. And it was 3-0, three knockouts within one year span when he said, I'm going to take these guys out ASAP. I'm not going to wait anymore. Nope. And it's when he started scoring these knockouts quickly. He flipped the switch. Yeah, and he he realized. And that's, I think he needs to be the aggressor early in the fight. Think about it like this. That's how you make money if you're in the UFC, right? You need Absolutely. those. Yeah, you yeah, need yeah. that knockout you of the, the night bonus. bonus. That bonus, man. That's huge. UFC is a different, I think it's a totally different fan base from, from boxing. I think the UFC has an ADD audience where you need to keep me entertained because... I, to me, it's mixed martial arts, yet the moment they go to the ground, you hear the booze. Yeah, the people don't have the patience. they're grappling and they're stomping on someone's foot, you hear the crowd get upset. Yeah. And I think George has mastered that, just like Conor McGregor has mastered that, so they understand strike and get these guys out quick. Why, George St. Pierre might be one of the greatest of all time, yet not a fan favorite, at, le- at least for the casual fan. I know the diehards right, love yeah. McGregor. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, St. Pierre. St. Pierre, but he, like you said, you know, he's never been a knockout artist. He's never been a guy where you're like, you know what, I'm going to watch this guy and we're going to finish this fight in two rounds. Like yeah, an that's another guy that learned. He got knocked out bad and he said never again. Never again. I heard that. I'm the grappler. I'm the one that I can control this fight. Right. Yeah. So I've, for me, that's that whole motivation that George is going to have behind him is what kind of leads me to believe that he's like, you know what, fuck it. I'm going to take full advantage of my slot and give it everything I got. I hope, man. You know, Never and, and really County. come out on top, man. Because so, that way, Dade County is on top, you know. And, and obviously, we're all rooting for you down here, George. So, yeah, in man. case you hear this, go out there and kick some ass, dog. Yes, sir. We also got two more championship fights that night. We got Zhang Whaley versus Thug Rose in the strawweight division and Valentina Shevchenko, who's a badass yeah. on her own. She can speak eight different languages. <sighs> and she can kick ass in eight yeah, different languages, I bet. You know, she's taking on Jessica Andrade, the Brazilian tough opponent. But that whole UFC card is is stacked. And the and main that's draw. Why, and that's why Dana gets to be the crook, because we get one great fight in boxing. Every six months, every and, five and, months. And that's supposed to hold a, a card. Um, I remember I grew up, um, my old man had me watching Tyson fights, and Chavez was the undercard. Yeah. So that's how I grew up, and, and that's why boxing was what it was at that moment. And they still draw great numbers. They still do. When they put on the real big events. But if you're talking about Dana White and how he controls his money Dana, income, Dana, yeah. this Dana. dude is putting on, like you said, those fights where it's two championship belts on the line every month, every two months. And, and you're tuning in to pay those 60 to 80 bucks to watch these championship Just fights. Just recently you know? had another, fight, another card that had three titles up for, yeah. for, 
you know, it, that was he, the, he just the night he knows the what he's doing. Card, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he knows what he's doing. He, he's a great businessman. Yeah, bro, we talked about it. You know how that guy has just been able to grow his business exponentially, especially during a tough yeah, period I just like wish in he would COVID. Pay his fighters a little. Me too, bro. I mean, that's all to the due diligence to the Me fighters. Too. They got to play that. Unfortunately, it's part of the game, right? It's kind of like the NBA players taking it, taking control again now and saying, "I'm going to go decide where I want to be in free agency." Yep. Now, I think that the UFC fighters, I think George has been a role model in that sense that he's like, "I'm not just going to fight, you know, any fight. I want to get paid." And I think that's what came into play with that Usman fight was that was a big payday for him. Look, Dustin for Porter, sure. just, and he's going to be again. Dustin decided to not fight for a title because he wanted that Conor McGregor money. To so take the money. It's, it's a chess so game, the, unfortunately. The, when, when titles stop meaning something to you because the money means more, right? that's, I think, when they're going to... Look, it makes for great fights, but I think that's what's going to get them into a little bit of trouble when that... UFC title no longer carries that weight because well that's the thing right with the UFC especially the emphasis is more on the championship belt right the biggest not, draws not so much. don't have a title yeah Conor McGregor's the biggest draw he has no title he, he's won one fight in the last three years in, in the UFC but that's what I'm saying like the and George Masvidal is the other guy and the draws the BMF draws title, in, in UFC are few and far between right so you have maybe three to five draws in UFC but the the trick is to make the belts the important thing and not the fighters because like you said he's gonna put the belts up every two three months the belts are gonna be on the line every two three months yeah. so either you win the belt and you keep consistent or you don't and the next guy is gonna take that shine you know and you know we're gonna see if the belts exchange hands on April 24th you know Day County's behind so. you let's go George kick some ass bro yes sir well, it's time to wrap this up. Joel, Vic, we, Joel and I really want to thank you once again, brother. Thank you for coming on. This was a blast. Honor, this man. was a blast. Um, you know, it took we, you long enough. But. Took me long enough, you know, but hopefully our, our fans enjoy it. And, you know, we get to have you on again, after, maybe after the draft. I, I know you're a big Buffalo Bills fan. Maybe we can talk some shit after the Dolphins make some moves, bro. The division goes through Buffalo, bro. For now. For now. But, Joel, as always, bro, we yes, did sir. it. We a did birth, it, big first event out the way, locked down. This was interesting for us. We did it on set at a location. Shout out to Empire for letting us for be sure. here. For sure. Bet everybody who came, who came through. Appreciate yeah, all you guys. Live studio audience. Live studio audience today. Guest. Yes, I mean, sir. This is big for us, man. Big moves, man. Big moves. And everybody who tuned in. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Remember, we want you to leave us a review. We know we went a little bit long, but let us know how you think the show is going. Keep us updated with your thoughts and your suggestions. And, you know, as we move the show forward, we're going to continue to grow and turn it into something that you guys are going to love. Yep. Trust me. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Sports with Sozo Podcast, where we can update you with everything that's going down with Miami sports. Make sure to subscribe to, subscribe to the fucking podcast, man. We subscribe. Need we need, we need subscriptions, that. Man. That's the only way to show some love and tell a friend. And Tell a friend. To tell a friend. Tell another friend. To tell a friend about the show. Let them know how dope we are. Let them know that we're bringing that Miami sports talk more than any other podcast that you'll find in Day County. If you find one, let me know. We'll go out there and smash it. Holla at me. Let's go, y'all. Peace. Peace.